Oh God, we are a people who have been born of grace. We are a people who have been brought into existence by the exercise of sovereign, divine, amazing grace. The explanation for our existence is to be found not in our our brilliance, not in our merit, nothing about us. The explanation for our existence is, is to be found only in the mysteries and the beauties and the excellencies of your divine grace. And so we come to celebrate it indeed. We are a people who know that beyond the, uh, the reaches of grace, were it not for the reaches of grace, we would be ruined. And so we love to sing about it. We love to discuss it. We love to understand it. And so grant us that that might occur uh, even this day. Our Father, we, uh, we approach a new, year, a new year. We are, um, we are a people who have certain sadnesses of the past calendar, 12 months. We have certain fond memories of the past 12 months. And yet, we, we do not want to be caught wasting time in, in laurels, in, in memories. There is so much to be done. Indeed, certain things were changed last year, but there is so much yet to be changed. And so, as a church, O oh God, stir us to a new plateau, to a different level, to a deeper consecration for the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father, there is, uh, there's a lot of pain among us as well. Um, families that have lost big this week. There are, um, there are funerals that have been attended that were completely unexpected this time last week. And I pray that you might prompt in your people a greater sense of confidence in the God who has not slipped off his throne, but he is right now reigning The Lord God reigneth, even in the midst of our pain. And um, grant us grace to believe that. Our Father, we pray for our country. She is a mess, but we love her. We, uh, We love the fact that we get the freedoms and the possibilities and the opportunities that we have, but we could just as well have been born in, in far less opportunity. You, you planted us here, so we want to take Every advantage of using this country for your glory. Thank you for our freedoms and the opportunities. Might they all be added up to greater service for the King of Kings. And now, Lord, we're grateful for an opportunity to to deduct from what we have. Um, It's addition that tends to hurt our souls. Drawing down never hurts our souls. To give and to sacrifice and to deny the flesh, it never harms our souls like the way adding does. So, Father, give us a great sense of sobriety and the sacredness of this moment. What we're doing is not simply supporting a church budget. We give because we believe. Now use all these monies for your sake. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Take your Bibles, with, if you will, and open them with me to Luke chapter 8. And you'll, you follow in your copies as I read to you the, the text that will be the focus of our uh, attention this morning. Luke chapter 8. We'll begin reading at verse 4. You follow as I read. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to, came to him, he said in, in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and, it, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things... As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not be believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in the time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Gang, this may just be the most boring sermon you've ever heard. Uh, Really. I mean, um, how could a sermon about sermon listening be interesting? But I thought it was necessary for, for us to have a little chat before I, um, I launch my next series. We're about to go back and resume our study and finish off our study of the book of Genesis. You may remember, you probably don't, but you may remember we left our study of Genesis last May. It was on Mother's Day, and I did that little family series from Mother's Day to Father's Day. You remember that? And then for the summertime, I did this thing called midlife archaeology about midlife uh, issues. 
And then I went to the Czech Republic uh, with Kurt and, and uh, we came, I came back and, and all last fall I was doing a series on living life outside the Shire. So, we're about to launch a new one. So how do you make a, an introduction to a sermon series interesting? In, in all frankness, guys, this is not really an introduction. It's an introduction to the introduction. The introduction won't come till next week. Um, so I, I thought that it might be helpful if I explain to you just a few things um, that will hopefully allow you to maximize the benefits of the time that you spend here. I want you to get the most out of this that you can possibly get. And so my, my comments this morning are designed to try and produce that. Next week, we will begin, Lord willing, a series on a subject of vital interest to anyone who's ever sinned. That would be us. We are, we're going to spend the next several weeks, perhaps even months, discussing grace. A subject so important that I don't want you to miss anything about it. Now, wait a minute, Dr. Young. I thought you said we were going we to study Genesis. Well, we are. But if you know anything about the book of Genesis, about the last half of the book, starting in chapter 25, about the last half of the book of Genesis is about Jacob. It's about the life of Jacob. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the life of Jacob, but he is only a foil. He's only a lens through which we're going to examine the, the subject of grace. So my, my purpose this morning is to prepare you to get as much out of that as you can possibly get. You know, the, uh, the, the present football season that we're all in right now um, is thankfully almost over. Um, but one of the lines that you hear ad nauseum in, in football broadcasts uh, is one that you heard yesterday when Sean Alexander, the running back for the Seattle Seahawks, uh, goes down with a head, something wrong with his head, and and um, and the the quarterback Matt Hasselback needed to step up. You know, he needed to to elevate his game. If I heard that one time, I heard it fifty thousand. You got to elevate. Somebody stepped up. Somebody elevate. Well, my, my point is, that's what I want to do. That is, I, I'm hoping that this sermon this morning will enable you to do that. Um, as you and I examine together this God's amazing grace, I don't want you to miss any of that. Because rightly understood, that is, grace, if rightly understood, will change everything. It will change your view of yourself. It will change how you wrestle with your own guilt and shame. It will change your, your, um, your levels of joy. It will change the way you do evangelism. Let, let, me, let me try to explain one other way. Um, the staff, we're reading a book together written by Brian Chappell. 
There's a little story. It's not that much of a story, but uh, a little story in the book. And, and I, I just want to share the story with you. It's a story about a, um, a pastor and his wife who had two children. They had a six-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son. And so one day, the little six-year-old daughter brought home a chocolate teddy bear that she had gotten in a gift exchange at school. So the next day, when the mother of the home was cleaning up the house, she goes into her daughter's bedroom and she discovers her three-year-old son with that chocolate teddy bear in his hand, just cramming it into his mouth. He's got chocolate all over his face and his hands. And when she walks in the room, he begins to sob and wail, of course, not because he's so sorry that he's offended the principles of his mother, but because he's gotten caught. And so he's backing up like this caged animal and, and he's just sobbing and tears are running down his cheeks and and his mother spanks him and says, but in addition to the spanking, you're going to have to tell sister what you've done. And so he waited. Every minute was an arduous, seemed like an hour and, until sister got home from school. And so here she comes walking into coming home from school. And he meets her at the door, almost knocks her down. He's bawling his little eyes out. And he says, I'm sorry, I ate your chocolate teddy bear. And, and just... His mother said he was a pitiful little sight sitting there, you know, just shaking and crying and his little sister. And, and she said, thankfully, my daughter was always looking for ways to, to, um, to love on her brother. And so she grabbed the little boy, her little brother, and she hugged him and she said, that's okay. I'm going to love you anyway and always. That came from a six-year-old. I'm going to love you anyway and always. And, and while the little boy is being clutched in his sister's arms, while his tears are still running down his cheeks, he begins to giggle. There he is crying and giggling at the same time. My point is this. I think it, what you see there is a grand illustration of God's grace towards his people. Because, guys, once you recognize the extent of the ravages of sin in you, it ought to produce tears. And in the midst of being so overcome with my own guilt and shame, God stands before me and he says, Don't despair. I will love you anyway and always. Now, guys, I don't want you to miss any of that. Because rightly understood, it'll change everything. So, bear with me this morning in the hopes of a brighter tomorrow. (laughs) Hang in there. I want you to take a look at the text with me uh, in Luke chapter 8. And what you've got there is a a fairly well-known parable, the parable of the four soils or the parable of the sower. It's a story from an agrarian culture about a, a farmer who goes out and sows his seed. Now, understand, it's a parable. And so we are told in verse 11, very clearly, that the seed is the word of God. You see that? Well, guys, what you have here is a parable about somebody who's scattering the word of God among People. From there, this parable goes on to discuss how the word is heard. (laughs) Notice with me, 
um, prime, or guys, if you'll notice, the parable is a parable about hearing. Look at verse 8. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 12. Uh, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Verse 13. When they hear the word. Verse 14. They are those who hear. Um, uh, verse 15. Uh, they are those who hearing the word. You see, guys, the point is there's different kinds of hearing. There's hearing. And then there's hearing. And the kind of hearing that is, that is in view here in this parable has nothing to do with your ears. This is not about a hammer and an anvil and a stirrup and an eardrum and an auditory canal or a hearing aid. It's not about that. Folks, this parable is preeminently a parable of caution. The caution, the warning is being, uh, is being spoken by Jesus as to how God's word is heard. Now, guys, I, I hope you get good preaching here at Gracie Van. And my gut feeling is that you really do. But uh, the, the point is, this parable is not about good preaching. It's about good hearing. One of the points about this parable is when the word is being scattered, be very careful. Look, look at verse 18. Take care then how you hear. Because you understand, don't you, that there's hearing. And then there's hearing. You know, there's a lot of people who uh, marvel at just how boring a sermon can be. And, and, and maybe that's true. Maybe you are plagued with boring preaching. But I can tell you this. According to this parable, sometimes the issue is not because of the boring sermon. The dullness is not from the pulpit. The dullness is from the pew. This parable warns people who are being exposed to the word of God. And it says, be very careful. Be very careful how you hear. And then it goes on in verse 16. And it likens, that is, the hearing of the word of God is likened. To the lighting of a lamp. What's that all about? Well, it's this, folks. You and I are to hear the word in order that the, the word may be in us as a light shining. Or um, said like this. How you've heard will be made manifest. That is, it will come to light. Uh, how you've heard will be seen. The quality of your hearing will be apparent. And then the text states that 
improper or at least defective hearing. Look at, look at verse 18. For to the one who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Defective hearing always leads to loss. What kind of loss? Well, I don't know. It doesn't, the text doesn't say. But it's a, it's a very disturbing thought. If I hear wrongly, I'm going to lose. And then in verse 21, what we're told there is that there's only one right way to hear. The only right way to hear is to hear it and do it. Notice um, in verse 15 it says, um, and bear fruit with patience or bear fruit with endurance. Guys, the only appropriate right way to hear is in a way that it produces doing over a lifetime. I am to listen responsibly. Not responsibly, but responsively. I am supposed to respond to that which I've heard. And my response is to be a doing of what I've heard. That is a theme, guys, that is found throughout the New Testament. Chapter 6, verse 47, Jesus says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them... Chapter 11, verse 28, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Perhaps the most famous passage on this subject was one that was written by Jesus' half-brother. James, chapter 1, you probably know it. It goes like this, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, comma, deceiving themselves. You know, guys, it is a sad thing to be deceived in a real estate deal or a car deal. Or, but even sadder than that is to be deceived by myself. Because if I hear only, if I hear only and don't do, I've just deceived myself. You know, while I was preparing this sermon in my, in my devotions, I was in... Um, the book of Ecclesiastes, and I ran across this interesting passage. You don't need to look, but, uh, but it's in Ecclesiastes 5. And, and, and Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, is talking about how you go to church. <laughs> I thought that was kind of relevant. And he says, um, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. <laughs> don't be tripping in there just any old way. Guard your steps when you, when you go to the house of God. To draw near to, his, uh, to listen is better than to offer the, the uh, sacrifice of fools. And then, right in verse 4, in the same context, he says, When you vow, remember this. It's better not to make a vow than to make one and to break one. My point is this, guys. When you get in there, there's something that's expected of you. You know what's expected? Vowing. Vowing. Here's, here's, what, here's what that means. I go in there... I hear something about God's word, and I, and I, in my hearing, I, this is what I'm supposed to do. Okay, God. As best I understand it, this is what you just said to me. Now, in response to what I think you just said to me, here's what I'm vowing to do. 
Anything less than that, ladies and gentlemen, is defective hearing. The stakes are high, guys. According to this parable in Luke 8, defective hearing can be very costly. And there is only one acceptable hearing. And it's a hearing that comes to light by doing. Guys, that's not hard to understand. That's not rocket science. I didn't need a a doctorate from Reformed Seminary to understand that. Jesus says, you want to know who my my, my, my mother and my brothers are? I'll tell you they are. It ain't Mary. I'll tell you who my mother and brothers are. They're the ones who hear my words and do it. That's the only ones I got. That's the only family I got. Now, in addition to that, folks, hearing can be relatively tricky. Um, you may not want to turn here, but let me just, just trust that I'm not lying to you when I read. This is out of um, John chapter 16. And Jesus turns to the 12 and he says in verse 25, he says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. And then in verse 29, his disciples say, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. And, and guys, look at our, our text in Luke 8. The, the, the disciples go to him and they say, Hey, uh, Jesus, you just told this parable and, you know, uh, <laughs> we don't understand it. And uh, there in John 16, what the disciples are saying, Hey, thanks a lot. We appreciate you speaking to us plainly because we haven't understood half what you said. There is a certain indirection about Jesus' speech, folks. Yes. And by, by indirection, I mean he often speaks in parabolic language. The Bible can be tricky. Yes, indeed. Um, let me give you an example. Uh, this afternoon, go home and study uh, Genesis 39. Genesis 39 is a passage about Joseph. You know, he was the, jo- don't get him confused with Joshua. Jo- Joseph is the guy, the, the son that had the coat of many colors. He was sold into slavery. He goes down to Egypt and uh, he's down there and he, he goes to work for a guy by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar has a wife who, who seeks to seduce Joseph. That's all in Genesis 39. Now guys, here's my point. If I were going to preach Genesis 39, I can preach it one of, at least, uh, that I know of three ways. I could use it to tell you about or give you a lesson about how to avoid temptation. Or I could use it to show you something about uh, a, a, a temptation that's going to happen later on in the life of Jesus Christ when he was out in the wilderness, like Joseph is out in the wilderness. And, and there's this devil that comes in and tempts him, just like Potiphar's wife is a tool of the devil. I could do that. Or I could use Genesis 39 and I could teach you something about the sovereignty of God. That is, how God uses pain uh, for the good of his people. Which one does that passage mean? Well, it means all that. You, you know, guys, um, then you add on to that typology. I, I don't know that you know what that... Maybe you do. I hope There's all kinds of typology in the Bible. Let me give you an example. You know the story about Jonah and the whale? Jonah got swallowed by the whale and spent three days in the belly of a whale. You know that? You know that story, don't you? Okay, good. Do you know that in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus uses that story and says, 
Just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying Jonah's story is a type of my story. There is, there is more intended than what you get on the surface of those words. Are you asleep yet? Listen to me. Here's my point. How we listen to this thing is important. The stakes are high. Guys, I didn't, I didn't say this. I mean, the, the one that you call the king of kings says, be very careful how you hear. And, and to those who don't hear rightly what they thought they had is going to get taken from them. And then in addition to that, it can be tricky as to how we hear it. So, in light of that, here's what I want to do. Folks, in, in the coming weeks, I want to invite you into a piece of biblical narrative. In, in, in this instance, it's going to be the life of Jacob. I want you to draw from this life certain things about your life that you can do. I want to draw you into this unfolding drama of the story of the life of Jacob. I want you to be able to participate within it and then appropriate the message for yourself. I, I want to tell you a story about a man's life. And, and my hope is that you will intersect somehow, not simply with a text, but with a message. A message about what a God of grace has accomplished in one man's life whose name happens to be Jacob. Now, guys, this is how this is going to work. Let me illustrate. I have no experience in sailing a schooner in a regatta. So if you speak to me about man the jib or uh, lean to the starboard, I don't have the slightest idea what you're saying. And in essence, those words fall on deaf ears. But I am a pilot. I'm an amateur pilot indeed, but I do have a pilot's license. And if you speak to me about stalls and flares and altimeters, my ears perk up. Here's my point. Jacob's life will do that. Why? It will do it because Jacob is a man. Not a myth. He's a sinful man. He's a man with defects and flaws in him that are unbelievable that you hopefully will be able to see. 
He's a man who fails. He fails his family. He fails his God. He fails himself. He's a man who stumbles and struggles. He's a man on some rare occasion who even succeeds. He's a man who disappoints. Just like me. There will be points, I hope, in our look at Jacob, that his story will so draw you in that you'll find yourself convicted. Or, or you'll find yourself thrilled or encouraged or, or comforted or, or, or maybe even he'll teach you something. Maybe he'll, by what you watch in his life, it will redirect yours. So my friends, Take heed how you hear. There's a lot at stake. Guys, the life of Jacob is simply a lens through which you and I are going to get the privileged opportunity to examine grace. This is a story. It's not a case study. Case studies are way too therapeutic. But Christianity comes to us in a story. And every single part of that story is really about Jesus. And so what we want to do is look through the story of Jacob to see the story of Jesus, which is really the story of of God's grace to sinners. Guys, this is not going to be a series on Jacob. It's not even really going to be a series about grace. It's going to be a series about God's grace as illustrated and evidenced In the life of a man whose name was Jacob. You see, guys, I got one of those. That is a life. I got one. And so do you. I have a life story like like Jacob. So how has God's grace changed my life? What has gone on in my life as a result of God's grace like, like Jacob. What can I learn and apply and live and do as the result of hearing the story about what God did in the life of this guy whose name is Jacob? Gang, my primary goal is not that you, when we're finished here, months out, 
My primary goal is not that you would know more about Jacob. But that you would know more about God's amazing grace towards us. If you are here today and you are a stranger to grace, what I'm hoping we're dealing with is simply a matter of not yet. That is, I just haven't understood His grace yet. If grace is foreign to you now, hopefully, by the time we're finished here and after we've seen grace at work in the life of one man, then grace will be your treasure. So be very careful. Very careful how you hear. There's a story that Craig Barnes an, an author that I enjoy, Craig Barnes, tells about his childhood. He said that in his childhood, he loved to visit his grandparents because they lived out in the country on this farm. And, and one clear summer night, he was outside and he saw a shooting star race across the heavens. And, and he ran into his grandmother and he said, Grandmother, I just saw a shooting star. And she said, you know what that means? He said, no. He said, she said, um, it means that if you make a wish, it'll come true. And he said, really? So he goes to the grandfather and he says, grandfather, do you know what I just saw? I saw a shooting star. And he said, do you know what that means? Said, no. He said, it, it, it means that somebody just died and went to heaven. And he said, really? So he goes to his big brother and he says, um, I just saw a shooting star outside. And so his uh, big brother said, um, well, um, we just studied that stuff in school last year. And, and he began to explain to me about uh, supernovas and trajectories of light and light years and all that business. And Craig said, oh, and all the wonder. And all the mystery of a shooting star had disappeared. And he said, and I quote, I was now the disillusioned recipient of the right answer. Guys, when, you're, when we're finished here, I don't want you to walk out of here with a fistful of right answers. I want you to walk out of here with a heart that is filled with the wonder and the beauty of God's grace towards sinners like me and you. I want you to walk out of here with a heart that's been ravaged. Beauties of what God has accomplished in Christ Jesus and a determination to go serve Him with every fiber of your being. Any 
anything less than that. We'll be just some more defective hearing. So take heed how you hear. Our Father, we, we dare not, we, we do not want to miss all these beauties that are contained in this vast glory. And I pray that your people will be so, that their game will be so elevated that they would be able to step up and see things about you that they've never seen before. That they'll be able to walk out not simply knowing more Bible facts, but they'll be able to walk out with a heart that is full of wonder. Wonder about all that you have accomplished in the life of sinners. Do that, Father. Do it for Jesus' sake. Do it for the kingdom's sake. Do it for our sake. We pray in Jesus' name.